I'm Dr. Sarah Hales-Britton. I'm Luke Patrick. And I'm Sam Siegel. And welcome to Grease Lightning, a podcast where we talk about myth and the movies and see what we can learn in the process. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Uh, so you, it's, look, we're running into this problem with the other show. We, at some point, we gotta switch from Facebook because it's so bad. Um, but, uh, hey, it's been a minute. <laughs> it has. I guess there may not be a delay for you lovely listeners, but for us, we've been on a recording break. Um, and it's super, super exciting to be back in this with you guys. Yes. And can I say, we started off, uh, started back off, I don't know, uh, with a, with a hell of a flick. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And and that of course is 2014's Pompeii. Um so Sarah, I got to know. What's what's your relationship like with Pompeii both the movie and the the town? All right. So my relationship with the movie began 2 days ago uh when I saw it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that honeymoon uh, phase, huh? Yes, I had never seen it before. I really didn't know what to expect because the IMDb rating said 8 out of 10 and the tomatometer said huh? like 34%. So <laughs> it was, you know, all bets were off going into the movie. Um, and we'll talk about the movie more later, but I super enjoyed it, um, mm-hmm. which was, all, you know, that's always a good thing. Um, Pompeii the city. I have been to Pompeii the city. Uh, I, I visited actually eight years ago this week. Um, holy shit. I went in 2015 on my Easter break. I was living in Italy that year, uh, working in the schools, um, and Italian schools get a pretty lengthy Easter break because Catholicism, Mm -hmm. Um, and so (laughs) I had like five days and I like, normally I didn't have a weekend while I was teaching Mm -hmm. there. Um, so I never got to go anywhere. So I had like Easter break having like five days off in a row was super exciting. Um, so I hopped on a train down to Naples and spent a few days tootling around there, um, and got to go to Pompeii and Herculaneum both. Um, it was super, super cool. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. It's a shame you missed the filming. Yeah, I know. Because uh, I, I imagine they shot this on location, mm-hmm. uh, surely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would think that at least a little bit of it they did. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. you gotta, you gotta get get Kit Harrington right there in Pompeii to really have him do his horse whispering. Right. <laughs> but what about you guys? What's your relationship with Pompeii? Uh, Luke? Hmm. Yeah, much like you, Sarah, uh, my relationship with this movie quite literally began last night when I started watching it because did not know it existed. Uh, This one completely flew under my radar. I had no idea this was a thing. Uh, And then we started looking at the cast and we were like, damn, this is pretty stacked for a movie I've never heard of. Um, Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, booted it up. Uh, we'll talk about it, but that's the entirety of my relationship with Pompeii the movie. Pompeii the City, I've seen some, like, Discovery Channel documentaries about it. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And that was that was pretty cool. So I'm really excited to like actually get an education on Pompeii, as opposed to just like the random shit I half remember about it. Uh, really excited for today's today's lesson. So it's gonna be pretty choice. Uh, Sam, nice. what about you? Yeah, uh, Pompeii and I, um, we got a real hot and heavy thing going right now. Um, <laughs> we we hooked up last night. Um, it's probably just gonna be a one night stand, but I don't know. I don't know. With this cast, it could stick around. Um, I so. I like was aware of this movie and I think I knew about it when it came out and I was curious about it because I, I don't dislike a, a disaster flick uh, and I love a kick Harrington um, as everyone should and um, but I never watched it and then I, I did forget about it um, so it's kind of like a lost love in that way you know the, the hmm. one who got away uh, yeah. but but no we did it last night uh, for a uh, hundred five minutes. Yeah. Um, sort of tantric, but um, <laughs> th- that's really. I'll keep y'all updated on how things go with me in the movie. Yeah, I'm moving through. <laughs> um, me I'm in gonna, the town. Yeah. Oh no, Luke. I I just look forward to when you send our little group text a message like in a couple weeks. That's like, guys, I'm watching Pompeii again. And a few days later, you're like, oh, I'm I'm doing it again, y'all. I'm back with Pompeii. <laughs> Guys, I'm I'm marrying Pompeii. I'm marrying the um, DVD copy of Pompeii that I have purchased and watched. Yeah. Upwards we have of something really special. Times. Here's the thing. I don't need to um, buy the DVD, though, because, guys, I have stars, and this was free on stars. Mm. Yep, so, same. Uh, you have stars there i have stars we watched outlander so okay yeah i i imagine you and i are like the only people who are still sort of (laughs) keeping stars afloat we might be Uh, our original plan so we watched we watched all of the outlander that was on netflix and then our original plan mm -hmm. was to like wait until whatever the newest season was at the time when we were catching up i can't remember now the plan was to like get stars binge it and then end our like membership so like just pay for Mm -hmm. one or two months um and then we kept finding random things that we wanted to see like stars kept surprising us yeah so we've kept the star special (laughs) yeah that's it's what they excel at it's kind of like a gym membership Mm -hmm. um but you do get something out of it but their business plan does seem to be like uh, offer like one thing that people want and then every couple months like toss something out to to people so they're like oh okay yeah i'll keep it yeah um yeah at some point i gotta talk to you about outlander because kenna watched that show and woofa doofa anyway so <laughs> me me in the town pompeii uh i have actually been there Woohoo! Uh, i went uh all the way uh 13 years ago um that's that's hard that's hard to admit but um but yeah went with my family uh spent like the day there and uh i don't remember a ton of it though is the problem 
I I remember it was very hot because for a while anywhere I went had a, a massive heat wave. Um, but no, what I do remember was was really cool. So it was a it was a fun day. Nice. That's nice. I. There's not a lot there. It's sort of a brick, um, <laughs> an ash covered brick. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, so sad. Um, Too soon, buddy. Too soon. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I should I should respect my new love, Pompeii, mm-hmm. and not make these kinds of jokes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is one of the tough things about Pompeii, because it's like, from an academic perspective and like an intellectual perspective, the city's fucking cool. It's fascinating, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, I mean, there are very few places where you get to walk around a Roman city and actually get a sense of what it was like. You know, there are other like military outposts and like sport towns and things like that that are relatively well preserved that you can walk around. Mm -hmm. But Pompeii and Herculaneum actually have buildings that are still standing like fully. So you actually get a sense of what the streets felt like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't get that really in a place like Ostia, even though it's huge and you can walk around the whole thing. Um, So it's like, it's amazing and it's incredible. And like, if you go, you if you if you have a chance to go, you should, because like, I feel very lucky to have gotten to experience that at the same time. We only get to experience that because of this, like, absolutely devastating natural disaster Mm-hmm. And like major tragedy. So it's, I mean, two things can be true at the same time, but it does make for a sort of a weird emotional experience of like reading and learning and talking about Pompeii because it's like very cool mm-hmm. and also very sad. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we're yeah. going to be, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between real excited and real sad <laughs> today. Ooh, yeah, let's buckle into this emotional roller coaster. Yeah, get ready. Oh, <laughs> uh, so um, so yeah, let's just I guess let's get into it. Um, yes, our our best source on Pompeii really is the city itself, um, mm-hmm. because the ash preserved things so well. Uh, Pompeii. At the time of its destruction, it was a port city and it was developing a reputation as a resort town for wealthy Romans, but um, it was not the most important of provincial cities. So uh, literary sources on it um, from antiquity can be kind of difficult to find. And actually, in terms of eyewitness accounts of the destruction, we only have one. So we'll we'll talk about that in um, great detail in a little bit. But um, yeah, it's it's sort of a weird um, it's sort of a weird situation because the the actual material record is our best source for it. This also leads to something that uh, scholars call the Pompeii problem um, because archaeologically and art historically, the site of Pompeii is so so important this is inversely proportional to its historical importance right it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't that important of a city to the romans really um and so scholars can sort of fall into this trap of 
taking what they learned about Pompeii and generalizing it to the Roman world at large mm-hmm. uh, and try to see trying to see Pompeii as like a microcosm of the Roman world. And that's what that's what scholars call the Pompeii problem, because like that's not really an appropriate thing to do with Pompeii. So would it be like if in like 2000 years scholars unearth a perfectly preserved town in the redneck riviera right and and are like this is what everything was like yes it's just right right here in southern missouri that's what <laughs> everyone was like <laughs> right or like akron ohio <laughs> yeah i was gonna say oh, uh, you know <laughs> i was gonna say bozeman montana i think yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, but that's a great, like, yes, that's exactly what's going on here. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. the preservation is hugely important for our knowledge of Roman life. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also incredibly limited, because it's just one town. You know, it was a resort town. It was a fishing town, like, um, export place. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't that huge. It was sort of on the up and up when it was destroyed. Mm -hmm. But, um... It wasn't there yet. So. Right. So, yeah, it can be sort of a, a weird place to draw conclusions about, about the Roman world. But um, but I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background about what it was like, bef- like leading up to the destruction, what we know about it. And then um, I want to take you through our eyewitness account of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius and what happened okay. after that. So, uh the oldest architectural fragments that we found at Pompeii belong to the Greek period in the 6th century BCE. So there were several Greek cities in this period of time in the Archaic Age that colonized other areas of the Mediterranean, especially southern Italy and Sicily. And so the southern Italy and Sicily get called Magna Graecia, which means Greater Greece, Because there were so many Greek um, colonies in these areas. So uh, Pompeii was one of those places that, you know, there were indigenous Italians living there, but then Greeks came in as well. And so you have the sort of mixing of cultures in the Bay of Naples. Um, Oh, I guess that's another thing we should say. Uh, Pompeii (laughs) is in uh, southern Italy on the Bay of Naples. It's about a half hour train ride from Naples today, if you if you go to Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where we're talking about Um, all the way through the fourth century BCE. It seems to have been just, you know, a small village um, with connections to both its Greek colonial roots as well as its indigenous Italian roots. The the Italic people living in this area at this time were called the Samnites. Uh, You may remember the term Samnite from our episode on Gladiator. Because the Samnite was a became a gladiator type um, that mm-hmm. was uh, um, used for a couple of centuries and then sort of done away with once um, Italians were given Roman citizenship. It's sort of not very nice to um, use uh, the representation of citizens in that way. So they did away with the Samnite gladiator type after a while. Uh, but that's where it comes from. It comes from these people from southern Italy. A lot of the cities structure and layout 
was established sometime around the second century BCE. So this is what's called the Hellenistic period. This is after Alexander the Great. Um, Greek language and culture has spread as a result of Alexander the Great's administrative structure. Um, Greek influence was already in southern Italy, of course. Um, but this area is a beneficiary of the economic prosperity of that time. Um, and we also know that at this time, Roman culture was starting to blend with um, the indigenous culture of the age. So Rome, the empire of Rome started out as just the city of Rome, and it mm -hmm. gradually colonized the Italian peninsula and then went out from there, right? Um, the There was a series of wars called the Samnite Wars, um, where their territory was taken over. Um, and the last of these wars was in the early third century. So we're talking like 290s, 280s BCE. Uh, okay. And by the end of that century, end of the third century BCE, so like 220, 210, um, Rome had control of the full Italian peninsula. So there's a lot of blending of culture going on here. Um, the language spoken in this area of Italy it was called Oscan. We do know that um, Oscan in a lot of places was displaced by Latin. However, mm -hmm. some inscriptions survive in Oscan. And we know that in Pompeii, Oscan was still being spoken at the time of destruction. Oh, hot damn. So there's still like a very strong identification with indigenous roots in addition to the Roman culture that people in this area have sort of been semi-forced to adopt. Um, so it's a real it's a real sort of blended cultures kind of area. Um, we also know one other thing we know about Pompeii is that in the first century BCE, um, one of Sulla's veteran colonies was settled here. So Sulla was this uh, very problematic dude <laughs> who uh, for a brief time was a dictator of Rome. Um, he was involved in some civil wars. And when the wars were over, he established these colonies basically as a pension plan for his veterans who had fought for him. Mm -hmm. um, he established these colonies all over Italy, like giving them tracts of land that they could retire on. Um, and one of these veteran colonies was uh, right outside Pompeii. Um, so all of these retired Roman soldiers were settling on confiscated land out here. Um, these were not always super popular. <laughs> I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. it sort of depended on the area, right? How well received these veterans were. Um, but we can we can assume that there was at least a little bit of tension between the veteran colony and the city of Pompeii. Um, we don't, at least I don't know how much interaction they really had, but the Pompeians definitely would have been aware of that. <laughs> um, and then we also know that at the turn of the era, so end of the first century BCE, beginning of the first century CE, Pompeii's public mm -hmm. buildings start to get a bit of a makeover. Um, this is the period of Octavian Augustus's rule, right? The first actual emperor of Rome. Um, Augustus very famously says that he found Rome a city of brick and left it a city of marble. Uh, and Pompeii is sort of uh, 
participating in this as well. A lot of cities sort of tried to model themselves on whatever Rome was doing at the time um, Mm -hmm. to sort of gain cachet. Um, And so there was a a palaestra, which is basically a public gym built next to the amphitheater in Pompeii during this time. One of the theaters got remodeled. There's this very famous portico um, in sort of downtown area that was added to the forum. So Pompeii is on the up and up. Uh, in the year 62 CE, there was a massive earthquake in Pompeii. And we know mm-hmm. that uh, a good chunk of the city was damaged, and some of the damage was actually still being repaired when the city was buried by Vesuvius in 79 CE, 17 Jesus. years later. So yeah, in the archaeological records, um, there's some very stark contrast between like what were clearly very modern, opulent buildings downtown and then like the shabbiness of poorer areas that were still trying to recover from the earthquake damage um there's also just because of the the preservation there's tons and tons of graffiti and inscriptions and paintings uh wall paintings from pompeii that are just insanely well-preserved, would not have been so well-preserved if it weren't for how quickly and suddenly the city was buried. So it's really important in that way, too. A lot We get a lot of information about like the political scene in Pompeii from these graffiti, because mm-hmm. people are writing about, like, um, my name is so-and-so, and I think you should vote for this person, you know? <laughs> so uh, there's, there's some really interesting stuff. Um, so... Uh, and and I'm sorry if I'm jumping the gun here. Um, how like how many people were in Pompeii? Because in the in the movie it seems pretty sizable. Yeah, it was it was a decent sized town. It was somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand people. Hmm. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah, for yeah. An- for antiquity, that's a pretty good sized town. I mean, hell, for Arkansas, that's a pretty good sized town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. <laughs> yeah it was um it was like i said earlier it was starting to gain prosperity um at that time you know the the tourism business basically the resort business was was doing really well and the um merchants who lived in pompeii especially those who traded in um like fish and fish products did really Mm -hmm. really well so there's a lot of very, uh, very, very, very fancy villas that have been uncovered at Pompeii, okay. where it's like clearly you were ex- an extremely wealthy merchant, that kind of thing. Now, when you say resort town, is it kind of what like we think of as like a resort town? Like, it, is it pretty much just like a place where people with money would go to like kind of bum around and like get baths or, yeah, or so- something? Definitely to some extent. Um, It's also, I mean, there were, I mean, public baths existed in this, in antiquity for sure. Um, The, what made Pompeii really popular though, was um, the villas, like right outside in the surrounding countryside, um, Mm -hmm. where wealthy Romans would come and like live at these villas for some number of months to get away from the city. So it was more of like a private enterprise. And then like local people would be hired to staff these houses. Right. So it was, it was more of like 
privatized resort area, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. Um, not so much what what we think of as resort towns today. Okay. So it's not like, it's more like a villa in Mallorca or something versus like Sandals Beach Resort. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like a long-term Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I want to mention before we get to the actual destruction is uh, the penises. I feel like this oh, is love one it. of the very... Oh, right. Hey, you had me at penises. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is one of the very famous things about Pompeii is all the penises that are like carved into the paving stones. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I sent you guys a couple of photos before we started, and one of them is of a, a penis carved into the paving stone. Um, the local guides will tell you that these pointed the way towards brothels, like for mm-hmm. sailors who, you know, were on just like in town for the night and didn't speak the language kind of thing. Um, just like follow the dick. Um <laughs> but <laughs> like, that's what I always say. <laughs> as much as I love that, uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, mm-hmm. So, the phallus was an apotropaic symbol in antiquity, meaning it wards off evil. So, you find ah. penises on all kinds of things, like places where you wouldn't necessarily expect it in antiquity because it's supposed to be warding off evil. So they weren't just on random paving stones throughout town. They were also like outside people's front doors, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, the brothel thing is a great story, but it may not be true. Um, and I hate, okay. I hate to burst, um, the phallic bubble, but, um, don't believe everything the guides tell you (laughs) i think you've enhanced it because the idea of a penis warding off evil instead of the reality of it being the root of it all um (laughs) is kind of incredible like yeah so uh we were my wife and i were in a museum in scotland and they had you know like roman artifacts and a lot of them were like small carved penises that they just like had i and i was just like oh it's like when i draw dicks on stuff because i'm a child <laughs> um but the idea that it's actually like no i carved this dick to ward off evil is so good yeah so good and also sam you know you and i are neighbors i really love the idea of wandering over to your house and just commenting upon the like 10 foot tall dick you've installed outside your front I gotta door keep the to evil out of my evil. home yeah it looks it looks tremendous <laughs> Yeah. So, so, like, are we talking like, uh, like a penile mezuzah sort of thing that people had on their homes? That's exactly what I was just gonna say. Like, forget the mezuzah. <laughs> <laughs> or porque no los dos. Yeah. Have a penis mezuzah. Mm-hmm. Just have your shema yes. right in the meatus, and. uh there you go. I th- I mm, it feels pretty sacrilegious, actually. But. Yeah, I don't think that one's gonna fly. But <laughs> no, I'm man. not a. As rabbi, long as it's so. circumcised, it should be okay. <laughs> <laughs>
my god, incredible. <laughs> I'm not Jewish, but I might have to get one of these just in just anyway, like <laughs> just to have. You got to commission it and you got to you got to find a real specific kind of person who's willing to do it. Yeah, you got to find the when we're the popular and we have right. merch. Oh my god, yes. Oh, goodness. Well, um, do you guys want to hear about our eyewitness? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this is the only surviving eyewitness account. Um, mm-hmm. It is likely that there were others written down, mm-hmm. but this is just the only one that we have that has survived. Um, and it's by a guy named Pliny the Younger. Now, Pliny! Yes. Yeah. You know Pliny? I know more about Pliny the Elder and all his wackadoo medicine. Well, Pliny the Elder is going to feature here, too. Ooh, um, excellent. Yeah, we get both Plinys. So um, Pliny the Elder was a polymath. Um, he wrote um, a, a book called The Natural History, which is basically an encyclopedia. It's fucking massive. It was like... 40 some books or something like that maybe 30 some anyways huge 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 like nobody reads the whole thing unless they are Mm -hmm. plenty scholars um and it just covers all kinds of topics it covers medicine it covers botany it covers wine you know just like anything you can think of about the natural world Mm -hmm. astronomy he's got it in there um and so he's a fascinating guy Pliny the younger is his nephew uh, oh. and, uh, he is a bureaucrat, basically. Um, he lives from about 61 to 113 CE. So, um, his adulthood and, like, work as a Roman governor is under the Emperor Trajan. Um, so okay. Pliny is 16 or 17 years old when, Pom- Pliny the Younger is 16 or 17 when Pompey is destroyed. Um, now Pompey uh, was destroyed by the eruption of the volcano Mount Vesuvius on August 24th, 79 CE. Um, this was a massive eruption. Um, Pompeii was only one of several um, towns that was buried. Um, Herculaneum is the other best preserved site. Um, you can mm-hmm. also go to Herculaneum and walk around there. I highly recommend it. It's smaller. It's less of a big tourist draw. You can get closer to things. Mm-hmm. There's fewer crowds. Um, it's very, very cool. Um, and also, and there were some other like tiny towns that were buried as well. Um, so Pliny the Younger was there and he gives us this account of what happened. Um, he uh, just a little more about Pliny the Younger, too, before we get started, uh, because uh, he's just such a hilarious character. Um, we have this this account of the eruption is in his letters. Um, we have a lot of Pliny's letters. He was one of those people like Cicero who saved a bunch all the letters he wrote to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were published later. And his his letters to the Emperor Trajan, especially, just come off as both pompous and also fawning. Um, mm. <laughs> he, 
He's just, like, really, he'll send these, like, two-page missives about, like, everything he's doing and, like, how much he loves Trajan and he wants Trajan's advice and blah, blah, blah. What should I do? You super smart emperor, you. And Trajan will send back, like, two lines. (laughs) 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 This is their whole correspondence. (laughs) um, But he was also buddies with uh, the historian Tacitus. Now, Tacitus was writing about very recent history. Um, the second half of Tacitus's work is lost, but based on this letter that Pliny writes to Tacitus, we know that Tacitus was writing about what happened during the reigns of the emperors Titus and Domitian, because the opening of Pliny's letter that gives us his account starts with... Thank you for asking me to send you a description of my uncle's death so that you can have an ac- you can leave an accurate account of it for posterity. I know that mm. immortal fame awaits him if his death is recorded by you. Um, of course, we don't know if Tacitus actually wrote it down because that part of his work is lost. But uh, luckily, Pliny's letter survives. So um, we... <laughs> We read and translated this letter in one of my Latin classes in graduate school, and we all joked about, like, did Tacitus actually ask Pliny for a full account of what happened? <laughs> mm. Or, like, did he not actually bargain for what Pliny's about to give him? <laughs> See, I, I, love to, I love to imagine that Tacitus was just like, oh, so sorry about your uncle. How did he beef it? And, and that's the response he got. And it's just like, fuck. I was just trying to be polite. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't want all of this. I'm getting the distinct impression that if group chats had been a thing when Pliny the Younger was, was around, oh, he, he would have been the kind of guy to just like send walls of text constantly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, yeah clearly can't read signals mm-hmm. they would have they would have had a separate group chat without him yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god so yeah he's he's really annoying and he's really ridiculous and i roll my eyes so far into my head every time i read his letters but super super useful at times and this is one of those times so um plenty the elder was stationed at a town called Mycenaeum, which is in the northern part of the Bay of Naples, um, sort of like across the bay from Pompeii, um, about 20 miles away. And Pliny the Younger and his mother were there visiting um, and hanging out with him. So on the day of the eruption, um, on August 24th from across the bay, Pliny the Younger's mom, who is Pliny the Elder's sister, uh, mm-hmm. sees the big cloud of ash, like, shooting up out of Mount Vesuvius and points it out. Um, Pliny the Elder realizes that this is a big deal, uh, and he needs to go investigate. So just as he's getting ready to go, uh, somebody comes and delivers a note to him from a friend who lives close to the volcano, who's written to, a note to Pliny saying, uh, there's no way out over land you can only get out by boat please help me um and so at this point pliny uh, pliny is there he's stationed there with the roman navy um so he gives orders uh for the fleet to be made ready and they sail across the bay 
to check it out, see what they can do. So as they're sailing, the ash is getting thicker. There's like blackened stones, little bits of pumice falling all around them. Mm -hmm. They're blocked from coming ashore by all of the debris. Um, And the helmsman suggests that they turn back. But Pliny says, no, luck favors the brave. This is where that comes from in Latin. Fortes fortuna uat. Luck favors the brave. Um, Mm -hmm. This is what he says. He's like, no, we got to go on. Um, I always, I also, I always wonder who gave Pliny the Younger the description of this, because um, when Elder was getting ready to go, he says, hey, nephew, you want to come with me? And Pliny the Younger admits in his letters, like, I was reading and taking notes and like studying and I was having a good time. So I said, no, I wanted to stay home and read. So I stayed home and read. <laughs> God. <laughs> this, guy. this guy. I know. So... <laughs> So somebody else on the boat is the one who told him about, like, the Fortes Fortuna you want thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, Pliny the Elder gets to his friend's house in Stabia, which is one of the other towns that was destroyed eventually. Um, he He's putting on a brave face. He's acting very cheerful, trying to reassure everyone that, like, the fire that they can see on the volcano, which now we know is the, the pyroclastic flow, he's like just bonfires abandoned by the peasants when they were fleeing uh he goes to bed and like actually sleeps like they can all hear him snoring in the other room the rest of the household has stayed awake like they can't go to sleep um in the middle of the night he wakes up and like joins them all and at this point it's becoming clear that like things are getting really serious they have to decide if they're going to stay indoors where the house is shaking violently or go outside and risk being pelted with chunks of falling stone mm. and pumice. Um, they decide that outside is safer. And given how many people we know died when roofs collapsed on them in Pompeii, um, I think they made the right choice. Um, so they tie pillows to their heads to protect their heads <laughs> and mm-hmm. they go outside. Um, the waves at this point in the bay are quite high, very dangerous. Escape by sea is too risky. So they're trying to figure out what to do. Pliny apparently, like, laid down on the shore for a little while. Um, I don't think he was, like, the healthiest of guys, and he was pretty old, so it's possible that he just, like, needed a beat. Um, But eventually, there's, like, approaching flames. The sulfur smell is getting really intense, so the others are like, we have have to go. We have to save ourselves. So they run. They flee. Um, And Pliny the Elder's body is found on the shore two days later. Um, Mm -hmm. presumably he's one of the many who asphyxiated on the ash and the gases that were coming out of Vesuvius. Um, so that's what happened. Um, (laughs) meanwhile, Pliny the Younger was reading his books. Mm. Um, the overnight, uh, the tremors were big enough to wake him and his mom. This is the thing is like earthquakes are really common in this area of Italy and everybody knew Mm -hmm. that Vesuvius was a volcano. So, And like, so earthquakes were not uncommon and little Mm -hmm. ones didn't bother them. And we know now that like there were warning signs of this eruption, but nobody realized that they were warning signs because earthquakes just happened. Right. So um, they ignored the little ones that happened before the eruption. Now, during the eruption, there's massive earthquakes. The tremors are big enough to wake them up in the night. So Pliny and his mom go out and they sit in the forecourt of the house (laughs) At which point, Pliny the Younger says, he called for a volume of Livy, who is a Roman historian, 
uh, and continued reading as if nothing were wrong. And he says he doesn't know if this is an indication of courage or folly, but his excuse is that he was only 17. <laughs> just... What a precocious just... little lad. <laughs> Big narc energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, that's the best description of Pliny I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so wild, because from what I'm gathering, Pliny the Elder is just nothing but big dick energy. Very and true. And so, it's, it's tragic that they share a first name uh, and could not be more different. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. So yeah, uh, earthquakes happening overnight. People are fleeing. Um, his poor mother is like very worried. Pliny's just reading. Um, at dawn, they realize that if the if this level of like tremor continues, the house is going to collapse. At which point they are in real danger. You can die mm-hmm. from your roof caving in on you, right? So they decide that they are going to get out of the house. They join the crowds of people who are fleeing. Mycenaeum. So remember, this is 20 miles away from the volcano. Um, mm-hmm. This is how far out people are like feeling the effects and panicking and running. This Jesus. eruption was fucking massive. So they join the crowds. The ground is shaking. Pliny says that they get up to a rise where they can see a little ways. The sea was sucked out away from the shore like so fast that a bunch of sea creatures are like left on the sand as the sea is like ripped out. We know now that there was like a tiny tsunami basically in the bay of naples Mm. um from this eruption so he sees that happening uh he sees a big black cloud with what looks like fire in it over the mountain obscuring the view of nearby islands you can see the island of capri from this uh from the mainland of italy over here you Mm -hmm. can't see capri anymore like it's it's so dark from this cloud of ash god so they they're like they're just there for a little bit um they take a break to breathe eventually they run um the black cloud comes up over them so like it's it's fully daytime at this point but it's pitch dark and in the dark all they they can just hear everyone screaming and praying and like they can't actually see where they're going all they all they can uh experience is like all these people around them screaming trying to find their family members they've lost in the dark um he gets he tells his mom like we have to get off the road because we're gonna get trampled by the crowd Mm -hmm. behind like we will get so they like get off the road and they sit there for a minute um there's ashes falling around them so like they rest for a minute but they're gonna get buried right so they have to get up and keep running after a minute uh, of rest um so they flee as far as they can with the crowd until they're basically out of the ash fall zone um when everything settles and there you can see some daylight again uh, they go back to Mycenaeum. Um, earthquakes are still happening. They're terrified by what little they can see from the other side of the bay. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't want to fully like leave the area until they find out what happened to Pliny the Elder. Like They're going to hang around until they find out if he's okay or, or whatever mm-hmm. happened to them. So they stayed in my. They went back to Mycenaeum and stayed for a couple days when other people didn't because they wanted to know what had happened to him and like if he was able to get out they wanted to be able to meet up with him um so it took a couple days and then they found out that he had died um 
So that's Pliny's account. It's, he tells it over, over the course of two letters. Um, we know from what we've found so far in excavations that between Pompeii and Herculaneum, somewhere around 2,000 people died. So actually, most people got out, mm-hmm. but 2,000 is still a lot of people. Um, yeah. And of course, there were like tiny little villages and stuff that were destroyed as well. Um, and we have to imagine that not everyone got out of those areas either. So um, so several thousand casualties. We, we will probably never have an exact number. Um, but the, the best guess is at this point with what we know is around 2,000 people. Um, God. So, yeah, it was it was horrible. Um, most people escaped, but they had quite literally lost everything but the clothes on their backs. Um, mm-hmm. There's one <laughs> about a mile outside the city. Um, archaeologists uncovered a strong box, which is basically like a fireproof box today. Right. You keep mm-hmm. all your important stuff in there. Um, so somebody had like grabbed this when they were leaving the house and fleeing. And then at some point decided it was too heavy. They couldn't run fast enough and dumped it and ran. So like all your most important documents and like they could they were actually able to read some of the things that were in there still this was mm-hmm. like a business family a real estate family um everything they needed to like start their business over was in that box their livelihood and they just ditched oh, it shit. right so they're they're running um travel was really slow and difficult in the ancient world even if you did have money so most of the people who escaped pompeii and herculaneum ended up resettling in other nearby towns in southern Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Emperor Titus had been emperor for about two months when this happened. <laughs> mm. uh, and he gets credit for sending aid to all of the cities where the refugees had resettled um, to try to provide like some new housing and infrastructure to accommodate this population influx in these other towns. Um, but when I was researching this, uh, I found an article where they interviewed this um professor named Stephen Tuck, who's, um, whose textbook I used in my archaeology class. Hi, hi, Dr. Tuck. Uh, he, he works on Pompeii and natural disasters. And he says that, uh, basically what happened was, um, there were a lot of people who died at Pompeii who didn't have heirs. And when that happened, the Roman government just helped itself to their money and mm. that's the money that they redistributed to help refugees. So it wasn't actually like the generosity of Titus's own deep pockets. It was mm-hmm. just it was uh, the dead people from Pompeii who didn't have anyone else to claim their property. That that money, Titus facilitated the redistribution of that money to help survivors. Jesus. Um, yeah. So so the destruction was quite devastating. Um, it's really, it's a fascinating site because it was buried so fast. Um, the, I mean, a, a pyroclastic flow from a volcano, which is like the big cloud of ash and rocks and like hot toxic gases and all of that, um, that moves super fast. Like lava Mm -hmm. creeps along slowly and like it burns stuff, but you can outrun lava. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can't outrun a pyroclastic flow. It goes several hundred miles an hour. Um, So people were either killed instantly by thermal shock or they suffocated on the gases and the ash. Um, And so 
and then the ash calcified where it was. And mm-hmm. so all of these bodies, right, are trapped in the ash. The biological material decomposes. The ash is calcified. It preserved the shape of these people's bodies. Mm-hmm. So in the 19th century, the guy who's um, the archaeologist who's running the excavation is a guy named Giuseppe Fiorelli, and he discovers a method to make plaster casts in the like the ash hole where these people's bodies were. So mm-hmm. we have all of these casts of the victims of the volcano. Um, it's fascinating. It's also totally devastating. Uh, because these are, I mean, these are people in like postures of death, existential terror and pain. Right. Um, the -hmm. one that always gets me is there's a guy who's like, he was clearly like sitting in a corner hoping to protect himself from a roof cave in or something. Cause he's like, he's sitting there with his knees pulled up to his chest. It's like a sitting up fetal position. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch where people are like splayed out on the ground. Like they've just fallen over. Um, they're really, really devastating. Um, and th- I mean, there's even like some casts of dogs, uh, mm-hmm. which always make me cry because I'm a softie. Um, but uh, it's it's a, a really like visceral reminder of like the human cost of this. Um, yeah. Of this eruption. Um, fun fact, Vesuvius is still an active volcano. The last mm-hmm. eruption was in 1944. Up okay. to that point, between between 79, when Pompeii was buried, and 1944, which was the last one, there were like 30 eruptions. So like one every 70 years or something. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, we're overdue for oh. another one. Um, mm. 600,000 people live in the danger zone around Vesuvius. Hmm. That's a problem. I know. And the Italian government has an evacuation plan, but to evacuate 600,000 people, that they need about a week. And yeah. so they're banking on having like two weeks notice of when an eruption is going to happen. But I these mean, things are very hard to judge. So... <laughs> I mean, a, a good professional volcano will submit a two weeks notice. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and offers to train, you know, their, you know, the next volcano. <laughs> this is falling apart on me a little bit. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of a crazy thing. Um, it is, it's very surreal to like, there, there's a couple of like high points in Naples where you can look out over the bay. And of course, Vesuvius is like a big part of the landscape and it's very pretty, but you can also see that there are people who like live on the, like the very bottom slopes of the volcano. I'm like, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> They're daredevils, Sarah. What the fuck? Uh I would never sleep again yeah. if I had to live on a volcano. It'd be one thing, too, if it was, like, some other unnamed volcano, but this is Vesuvius and Pompeii, like, yeah. pretty famously consequence-ridden part of the world. Mm-hmm. So... Yes. It's like naming your plane the Hindenburg. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
this is my new sailboat, the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> you sure you want to go with that? <laughs> oh, God. Salesman told me it's unsinkable, so yeah. we're good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's all I've got on Pompeii. Um, I am dying to hear what you guys thought of this movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, it is a rip-roaring good time. <laughs> I totally agree. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, I mean, like, some of it, de- like, the romance subplot kind of sucks, whatever, but it's yeah. Kit Harrington, so, like, who cares? Um, but it's the... It's... It's Kiefer Sutherland making a meal out of every fucking scene that he's in that really does it for me. Um, Luke, where are you on this? So the movie finished. This is what I said verbatim. I said, that sucked. And I had such oh, a good time. No. And oh, I had such yes. a good time. Yes. Okay. Because there's so many things about this movie that are from like a filmmaking perspective are so bad. Like my favorite is they, they dabble in slow-mo. And my favorite is that at one point someone is holding like a grate or like a, like a cell block. And it's just like a single Mm -hmm. hand, but the hand is on the other side of the grate and we get a zoomed in slow-mo of essentially just a fence for about five (laughs) seconds. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. This movie sucks. (laughs) And the cuts are really sharp, and some of the line delivery Mm -hmm. is, like, clearly a first take, and they needed to move on. But, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's a rip-roaring good time. You got Kit Harington just ripping around. Uh, Yeah, I have another thing I want to talk about with this, but Sarah, what did did you think of this this flick? I fucking loved it. I really, Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting to, and, like, (laughs) the objective part of my brain kept going, what? what what and then the other part of my brain went um we're now we're into the movie and the volcano hasn't erupted yet what Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but somehow i still had a great time yeah (laughs) and actually i mean i also like i mean so we we messaged about this a little bit last night like we all know how Pompeii ends, right? But we also know how disaster movies end. And the main characters yeah. are, spoiler alert, the main characters are supposed to get out at the end of a disaster movie, right? Everybody dies except right. for them. I was fully expecting a universe in which the only characters who made it out were Kit Harrington and the girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they died in like a very notebook style way. And it just, it like emotionally ambushed me. And I like, I was like, why am I crying at this objectively bad, but also fun movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. You got invested. Yeah. I'm sorry to admit the level of invested that I got, but yes, I cried at the end of Pompeii. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Hey, yeah. don't tell anyone that, Sarah. <laughs> I know. And I realize this, this is a secret. bad time to tell you because you said it in a recorded product, but don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> Our assistants can edit that bit out for me, right? Yeah. Preserve yeah. my reputation. Yeah, we'll get that in post. 
Um, <laughs> but that is what I wanted to talk about with this because, like you said, it's like an hour before this thing erupts, which is so Sam and I in our other project have done a lot of disaster movies. We are disaster mm-hmm. movie aficionados, and mm-hmm. it is not unheard of for one of these flicks to like take a little while for the disaster to it's, kick off. It's the disaster slow jerk, and I adore it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, Titanic comes to mind. We get a lot of Titanic before Titanic mm-hmm. hits the old iceberg. But this one, famously, nobody makes it out they all die it's pompeii mm-hmm. so i spent large portions of the movie like post uh especially post volcano eruption there's so much plot and everybody's doing stuff and the entire time i was just screaming at the television you're going to die is it that <laughs> yeah. important you're going to die <laughs> this is exactly how i felt about like having to go back and kill the not not Kiefer Sutherland, but the other dude who yes. was like with mm. him, you know, his yeah. sidekick, having to go back and kill him, and then also all of the like needing to kill Kiefer Sutherland, like just like just like break his chariot wheels and leave him there. Yeah, yeah, man, give it. Let nature <laughs> yeah. take care of this one. I so <sighs> I kind of I didn't really catch his actual name, but the, the like. The uh, sidekick henchman guy. Mm-hmm. I I wrote down Marcus Rockus. I'm pretty sure that's wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it was but, like Proculus or something. Not much better. <laughs> yeah, Marcus Rockus. Um, he was such a shithead, and it's just like we spent a lot of time really invested in him dying, and it just didn't feel worth it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like. Uh, and yeah. then we get a lot of Senator Kiefer. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so weird how much they're like, are they going to kill him? And it's like, well, if they don't, I know what will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what we kept saying throughout this movie. <laughs> Cause, um, Kit Harrington's cellmate gets into this like very tense like one-on-one sword fight with Marcus Rockus, and um, and it's just like, oh no, the cellmate like got stabbed. He's not gonna, he's not gonna kill Marcus Rockus, and it's like, I mean, it's too fucking late for him. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like there's a fire cloud just cu- like it's coming. Yeah. So who who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. believe when he gets when Marcus Rockus gets stabbed, I believe what I said was. Oh no, he died slightly before he would have anyway. Like <laughs> It's it's like when someone like cuts you off to get to a red light. Yeah. That you yep, pull yep, up yep. to like 30 seconds later. <laughs> it was that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yes. You can choke on your own blood or you can mm. choke on some like very hot ash. Yeah. Both are terrible ways to die. Oh yeah. I just, um, also, I, like, in the opening credits, the name of this director is in there a billion times, and it's Paul something something Anderson, so I just called him Paul Thomas Anderson the whole time. (laughs) Uh, but, like, he's real proud of this, and he should not be. 
Because <laughs> as near as I can tell, Paul Thomas Anderson had one idea for a shot, and it was a long, top-down shot that's 99% CGI. Uh, because we get that shot like 40 times of Kit Harrington running somewhere, top-down. Senator Kiefer taking his, tra- uh, his trailer... Uh, is chariot somewhere top down, and it's just. I'm all going of to this exclusively stuff. call chariots trailers now. Trailers, yeah. yes, yeah. He had a double wide ch- trailer, yeah, a double wide chariot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, really quickly, there was a green screen that was like straight out of film school. Like somebody used After Effects on their beat up MacBook to put it together. <laughs> Because uh, it did not look good, it was clearly a green screen. Um, yeah, yeah. This movie's a I, triumph in filmmaking. Yeah, I Even, so yeah. I will say, there's, I have one favorite part from this movie. Do tell, and it is, um, <laughs> we get. I think they're trying to figure out how to get out of the city. And Kit just goes, horses. And for some reason, I was like, if I could get that as a ringtone, I I could die happy. Oh my god, yes. Because it's like, just this like brilliant line read of just horses. That's like half his lines too at the beginning when like when um what's her face Cassia's uh like chariot or whatever gets stuck in the mud and the horse falls mm-hmm. over and he's like trying to get the guy to unlock him so he can go deal with the horse all he says is the horse <laughs> <laughs> yeah no <it's... laughs> and the guy's like so <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's like gotta snap its neck um i just now i actually do have some questions for you though sarah yeah hit me with them okay um People seem to really hate Senator Kiefer uh, and just senators in general. Is it like how we feel about our Senate where they suck shit and we hate them all? It did kind of feel like if Mitch McConnell came to town, this is what we would do. Um, Yeah. Set him on fire. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if the like turning their backs on a dude was actually a thing i have no Mm -hmm. idea i liked it in the movie don't know if that's a thing um but uh there were i mean there were definitely like tensions between roman officials people from the city of rome and Mm -hmm. people in the provinces and like we know that oscan and samnite culture were still like very active in this area Mm -hmm. right like it would be a mistake to think that the area around Pompeii was fully assimilated to Roman culture and like way of life. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There were tensions. Um, some of the like Roman satire that has survived is absolutely savage against politicians. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean this, did it manifest in this way? I don't know, but it's not at all a stretch to believe that people in Pompeii were disgusted by, like, corrupt senators. Mm, That's okay. 100% believable to me. All right. Um, what's up with Emperor Titus? Because they sort of hint that, like, he sucks ass. 
I but wrote, it's unclear. I wrote in my notes, was Titus crooked? Question mark, question mark, question mark, because I wasn't sure. Um, so I had to go uh, go look this up. Um, there Because I had always learned the emperor's in you know you learn like good bad good bad 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 mm-hmm. good 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 right like this is how you learn the emperors that's all, all you learn is one adjective um and titus was a good one he mm, only ruled okay. for like 18 months or like mm. just shy of two years or something um but i was like i thought he never like wasn't around long enough to do anything bad um so i thought he was okay uh and it sounds like, for the most part, he was. Like, he turned it around once he had to become emperor. Like, there were major concerns, apparently, about his character when he took over. When Vespasian mm, died. Okay. Vespasian was his father. Um, and when Vespasian died and Titus took over, there were serious concerns about whether he, like, basically could handle this level of responsibility. Which is mm-hmm. such a hilarious conversation to imagine people having about a 40-year-old man. But, um... <laughs> They were very worried, <laughs> but apparently he like, he turned it around. He did fine. Um, again, he wasn't around long enough to really fuck anything up. So it's possible he yeah. would have ended up being terrible, but, um, he, he was very popular while he was emperor. Then again, Nero was also very popular with the people. And we mm. all know how that went. Um, it's amazing yeah. actually how many of the bad emperors we think of as bad because like, Politically, they were a mess, and their, like, wealthy rivals didn't like them, um, and, like, the Senate didn't like them. But a lot of mm-hmm. the bad emperors were very popular with the lower, like, social classes. Hmm. So. Cough Ronald Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, Titus is kind of a question mark, um, but I, I guess I can see where they were coming from with that. Okay. Um. Who the fuck are the gold mask guys? I don't fucking know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, like, if you're gonna, if you're in an arena and you're gonna have a battle reenactment, somebody has to announce what the reenactment is. And there is no, like, uh, there are no sound systems. So multiple guys yelling the same word at the words at the same time seems reasonable i guess mm-hmm. um i have no idea if this has any basis whatsoever in reality okay because it was wild it weirded me out <laughs> yeah something about it was unpleasant to take in yeah <sighs> yeah um i thought i had another question here uh Oh, Festival of Vinalia? Vinalia? Yeah, this is a thing. Yeah, uh, what what is it? Um, it is a grape harvest festival. So it's, um, mm. Vinalia is related to the word vinum, right? For wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's actually two Vinalia. Um, one of them is in April, um, which is called the Vinalia Urbana. So the city Vinalia. And this is, um, city people like blessing last year's vintage that they're about to drink and Mm. praying for a good growing season. And then there is the Vinalia Rustica. So the country Vinalia, that's the one that's happening in the movie. This one happens in mid August and it's a pre harvest festival. So growing season is over and we're praying for a good harvest. 
Oh. Um, so it's it's got strong ties to Jupiter, um, mm-hmm. who is the Roman equivalent of Zeus, right? Um, and he because he's in, in control of the weather and therefore the harvest. Um, there's the Vinalia also has some connections to Venus. Um, Venus is a very important goddess in Rome because Venus, aka Aphrodite, is Aeneas's mother. Right, Aeneas is the is the mythical ancestor right, of the yeah. Romans, so she's super important. She's also the patron of like non sacred wine. So there's like consecrated wine that's used in religious rites, and then there's just the wine that you drink. Right, Venus mm-hmm. is the patron saint of that. Um, I think we can all guess why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so there's like this is this is like the Roman side of it, right? But uh, we do know that the Vinalia also had sort of like indigenous Italic origins mm-hmm. as well so it's it's one of those festivals that like it probably already existed and the romans stuck a latin name on it and said cool um but gotcha. yes the vinalia did in fact happen in mid-august so it would have like just ended when this eruption happened gotcha okay and then i have uh one last question yeah um in this uh cassia is that mm-hmm. the princess yeah. yeah, her dad says Juno's tit, and I need to know. Did Romans have cool curses <laughs> like Juno's tit? <laughs> to be honest, I hate that I have to say this, but I don't know. Oh, damn. The best I can give you is the Greek for go to hell. Yes. Um, it's Ace Caracas, which means go to the crows. Ooh. Pretty good. That's got that's a heft to it. I like that. Doesn't <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the Greek equivalent of go to hell. In terms of like Roman curses or exclamations, um, honestly, the like exclamation that gets used the most mm-hmm. often for like wow or like damn or whatever is um actually Hercules. So Hercule gets used a lot. Oh, interesting. Um, it's sort of like, it, I mean, they have a lot of gods to choose from, but it's like, oh my God. Sure. Um, right. So that's really the exclamation that we see the most often. Um, I hope to God they had Juno's tit, because I <laughs> loved that. <laughs> it's powerful stuff. I mean, it it got me. Uh, just hook, line, and sinker, because you know he's the man from Chernobyl. He's talking, and he yep. goes, "Juno's tit," and I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, you you know what I'm about." Movie. <laughs> See, I know him from. Uh, well, I mean, he's I mean, he's like a big actor. He's been in a lot of things, but the thing that mm-hmm. I that I always like recognize him from first is in the first season of The Crown. He plays King George. QE2's oh. dad. So I go from like sweet old man king <laughs> to, to Juno's tit. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's funny you mention him. He is literally my favorite actor, Jared Harris. Is he really? Oh. Yeah. There it is. I can I only, never remember his name. I only found out yesterday he's the son of fucking Richard Harris. Richard Harris. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Richard Harris's uh much better son, I think. Uh, he's at least more sociable or less drunk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I 
I love anything he's in, but he gave me my favorite part of this movie, which is when mm-hmm. Trinity from The Matrix is being crushed by a huge opulent chair and tells my favorite actor, Jared Harris, to kill a unconscious Kiefer Sutherland. It mm-hmm. was it was choice. I love that I get hey. to say that, and that's a real thing that happened in this movie. Yes. Can yes. I tell you that it sounds like you just recited a fever dream? <laughs> yeah. And like that's my... why I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even fanfic. It's just like a loose... It's like I took a cast bucket, shook it up, removed names at random, and then uh, mad yeah. libs it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so this good. movie is I know. Oh, god. I have I have like two small little things, but mm-hmm. I know we're going long and I like is there if you guys have anything else you want to say about this movie, you should go first. I got it all out. Yeah. I, I I said the I thing didn't about like Trinity the sound of that, but <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, thing number one is, um, as we know from Gladiator, given that the first half of this movie is basically just Gladiator, um, mm-hmm. we know that there is absolutely no way a respectable Roman citizen, like high up ranking in the army, would ever go into the arena and fight a slave gladiator. Like Marcus mm-hmm. Rockus does when he tries to kill <laughs> Kit Harrington, right? Mm-hmm. That would, that made me the angriest. That was like the only thing that really made me angry in this movie was when he was like, sure, I'll go out there and kill this gladiator slave who's mm-hmm. in the YQ. It's like, no! <laughs> no fucking way! Like, that's so bad for your reputation. That made me mad. Um, so I just had to point that out. Um, and then the other thing was, this movie starts with, like, Kit Harrington's origin story as they call him the Celt, as in he's the mm-hmm. only one left, right, from his yeah. tribe. So I had to look this up and see if this was a real thing. Um, and I think basically what they did was sort of take inspiration from what was happening at this period and sort of mush things together. Um, mm. From what I could tell... There was no Celtic rebellion in the 60s, There, or at least not in the early 60s. They placed this in 62. Um, mm-hmm. There were Celtic rebellions in the 50s. There were Celtic rebellions under uh, in, like, 69-ish. There were more nice. under Agricola as governor in, like, the 70s and 80s. But at this period, we're in between Celtic rebellions. So nothing's going on. Okay. However, year 60-61... This is Boudica, the oh. uh, like British. She she's sort of heralded as like a British nationalist hero, basically, right? Because she's like mm-hmm. the queen who stood up to the Romans, and she did do a bang up job of like leading a huge group of rebels, like burning London and like all of this stuff. And you know, she was eventually um beaten but um i think basically what they're doing is conflating celtic rebellions with boudicca Mm, at this point to invent um a tribe of celts from northern england who are wiped out gotcha okay um yeah and we'll we'll talk more about like britain's native britain's um 
from the Roman period in other episodes later on. But um, I thought that was that was kind of an interesting way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm pumped for that now. Um. Yeah. Well, I so you guys want to want to talk about what we're watching next time? Oh, we should rate this movie. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um. Okay, I got one locked and loaded. I'm ready. Do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, eight out of ten horses. Damn it! <laughs> God damn it, Luke! That's damn it! You took it. Um. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna give it. Five out of six Kiefer Sutherlands. Nice. That's nice. That's a lot Very of Kiefer nice. Sutherlands. Oh, yeah. Not Very nearly nice. enough. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this uh, seven out of eight ash clouds. Mm. Mm. Nice. There you go. Uh, and then... Next time, folks, we're watching, and and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, Agora? Agora? Agora, yes. Agora, okay. I, I, I didn't know this was a movie. So. I, I watched this movie in class in graduate school. Do you know how weird it is to watch a movie in class in graduate school? But that's yeah. where I learned about this movie. Okay. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. It sounds interesting, just from the little blurb that you that you have in the document there. Yeah, um, yeah, this one's gonna be a fun one. Luke, do you know anything about this one? Heck no. All right, living up to our dumb idiot names. Mm-hmm. Two dumb idiots um, learning as we go. Like yep. blank slates to learn about Alexandria <laughs> next time. There we go. Well, folks, uh, thanks for listening to another episode. You can find us on Facebook at uh, Greased Lightning. You can find us on Twitter at Greased Light Pod. I had to double check because I get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> um, you can find us on Instagram at Greased Lightning Pod or Greased Lightning. I'm so sorry. I should have double checked this. My cat's jumping all over the desk now. It's a real problem. Um <laughs> You can send us an email at greaselightningpod at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Mastodon at uh, greaselightning at home.social. And am I leaving anything out, folks? Uh, smoke signals. That's about it, I think, at this point. Yeah, that's That's the whole much. retinue. <laughs> that's all of them. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. Sarah, thanks for teaching us once again. Mm-hmm. Thanks, you guys. And- And we'll be back uh, next time with Agora.